Welcome to the Faith is Not Bind podcast. I'm Sarah Devonier, and we're here in the Washington, D.C. area. Today we're talking with Emily, and we have had one other episode about this, but I, I'm pleased to be able to try and fulfill some requests that people have had um, to talk about some sensitive issues, one of them being people's struggles with pornography. And so we really appreciate Emily being willing to share that. Um, it's something that we need to understand better and, and to talk about maybe in different productive ways. So Emily, thank you for being here. I'm yeah. being willing to share. Thanks for having me. So you are a mathematician. Mm-hmm. Will you talk about what you love about numbers and math? Um, oh boy, what do I love about numbers and math? Please, um, please don't say you don't love it because... No, <laughs> I do. Um, I think it's less about numbers and more about problem solving. Uh-huh. So I think it can be really exhausting when I have a problem that seems unsolvable and I work on it for hours or days, but um, when I am able to solve the problem or when it clicks in my brain, there's just like, it, it's like an adrenaline you know, rush, you know? So well, What do you uh, love about that clarity of the problem that's newly solved? I think probably at the root of it is like that I, like to know that I can do hard things or things that I thought were impossible. Mm, I yeah. thought this problem was unsolvable or that I wouldn't be able to solve it. And then I was able to figure it out. And it, it's like such a good feeling that you're kind of like, okay, throw another one at me, you know, <laughs> so that you can. Yeah, you can I, I love that. You should be a mathematician, <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll come back to this um, idea of problem solving mm-hmm. and solving problems that are difficult. Um, you had some early experiences that, that were difficult. I think that, that caused problems that are very difficult to solve. Um, would you just share whatever you're comfortable with talking about some of your early experiences as yeah. a child? Yeah, so um, so when I was pretty young, um, I experienced some childhood sexual abuse um, and that was, I, I don't think I, I mean, I didn't really process it, right, because right. I'm, I'm a child and, like, uh, I didn't tell anyone about it, and, but um, it bled into my life in lots of different ways, um, and one of those ways was that I was exposed to pornography, and um, I think um, a fact that many people don't know or I don't know, maybe people do, but um, a lot of people, if they've experienced sexual abuse as like children, the pornography that they view directly correlates to it. And it's like, um, you know, a way of trying to process what's happened to you. So, yeah. So um, that was um, something that kept, in addition to all of the, you know, regular lures of pornography, that was something that continued to draw me back to it. Right. Again, I like how you said that there may be things that people don't know, don't understand about it if they haven't experienced it. And and we do really want people to be able to have some understanding. What did that early exposure to those things, um, well, how how did that affect your relationship with God or maybe your understanding of Him? Um, I think 
So I think when I was first um, exposed to pornography, I think I knew it was like a bad thing, but I don't think, um, you know, the correlating piece of like masturbation, I don't think that I knew that that's what was happening. And so when I figured out, oh, this is what I'm doing, um, I just remember feeling like I was just an awful person. And especially as a female, because um, I think people do see it as a male problem mostly. And I remember thinking, like, I can't tell my bishop because if I tell my bishop, I'm not his like um, his daughter was one of my best friends. So I remember thinking, like, I'm not going to be able to hang out with her anymore. And um, I think there is like a really poignant thing of um, like, around the time that I was in Young Women's is when they implemented the eighth personal progress value of virtue. Yeah. And I remember that that was really challenging for me to like cope with um, because I was in these Young Women's classes with all these like lovely women. They're all great, but none of them had experienced or at least not that I knew of. None of them had experienced what I had and I felt like there was this, my virtue had been robbed for me, like when I was innocent and young Mm. and I didn't quite know how I could relate or um, feel comfortable or like um, clean in that sort of environment. Well, well, taking it back to to math or algebra, you've got an equation there where it seemed obvious that your experiences on one side equaled somehow a, a lack of virtue even though that's not doctrine right that's how it felt right. so so as a young woman feeling so alone what did you do to move forward especially with your friend's dad as, as your mm. bishop well I didn't tell anyone for a long time it was kind of this thing I kept inside of me, which I think a lot of, is the case for lots of people. Yeah. So it wasn't until I was in college that I um, had like this, I had a really great bishop who I had talked to about a couple of different like issues and he was just really understanding. And so I, um, I talked to him about my problem with pornography and um, I remember I felt so free afterwards. Oh yeah. Like but it was a mix because I felt like I'm um I felt like everything is going to be better now. This is all going to go away and be taken care of and it wasn't that way. I had been like in therapy for a couple of years talking to a counselor about it and um I continued to like go to church activities and be active in church and tried to read my scriptures and pray, but the problem did not dissipate. Yeah, the problem wasn't solved, which you were saying at the beginning, you like problems that are hard to solve. But this is one that in your personal life, to be able to apply that, I I, want to do a little bit of, analysis or at least give you the chance to explain Mm -hmm. um, how it felt before you talked to your bishop, um, Mm -hmm. just just so people maybe can understand 
how young people might feel when, when they're trapped in the shame of pornography and when they feel like they can't talk to anyone. What, what did that feel like? Paint us yeah. a picture of that. Well, I think there's a double layer um, because I was at a church school and so when I told my bishop that I um, had been viewing pornography, I assumed that I would be asked to leave the university. Interesting. So when I told my bishop, I had pretty much come to terms with the fact that I was going to lose my housing and I was going to lose my place at school and that I would have to move home and like my my home life at that point was less than ideal so there was a lot on the line but I think before I told him yeah I mean those were all like legitimate concerns for me um, and then yeah I think it just was really really lonely and um, I mean pornography thrives in silence so I think you know, not, not having anyone to talk to. Um, I told myself over and over again, this is the last time, you know, I'm not gonna do this again. Um, and I'm gonna get over this, but generally that doesn't usually work for people. Did, did you feel like you needed to just use willpower and get over it yourself? Yeah, I, I thought that that would be the right solution. I, and, uh, and I mean, sometimes it helped, you know, sometimes willpower was, or white knuckling it was yeah. a thing that worked, but um, in the long run it didn't. Yeah, so you talked about feeling at least freer, mm -hmm. even though it was more difficult than you expected, at least freer after talking to your bishop. What, what gave you the courage to talk to your bishop? I think just, um, I think having already, so yeah, I think he had shared on fa it was Father's Day, and my bishop um, spoke in church, and everybody in church on Father's Day always speaks about like how great their dad is, you know. And I think for people who don't have that relationship, Father's Day is an extremely hard day to mm -hmm. be at church. And so my bishop got up and talked about how like his his father had been a really difficult person to get along mm -hmm. with, and how they'd had some issues with mental health and his family and he he um, didn't have that same feeling towards his dad that other people might have been sharing over the pulpit um, and I just remember at that point I thought oh this is somebody who isn't afraid to like tell it like it is or confront real issues you know yeah. and I'm sure that every other bishop that I had would have been willing to address the same issues, but I think being able to connect on that level yeah. um, of like an unpleasant thing that maybe needed to be said so other people could feel comfortable in their own skin that I thought, okay, I'm, I can talk to this person about this. And, um, you know, I, I didn't know what the result would be though. So like I said, I, I was banking on the fact that I would lose everything yeah well how 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 brave to be willing to do that what what did you learn doctrinally maybe through talking to the bishop or maybe otherwise that that helped you see your part in this and and that maybe there were some things that that weren't your fault 
Well, I think, I mean, going to therapy was like extremely helpful for that. Um, doctrinally, I think, so, so after I talked to my bishop and things didn't change, um, I, there was like a long period where I was pretty depressed and I felt like for some reason the solution that other people have been promised that like the atonement will help them get over this. For some reason it's not going to work for me because it isn't working for me. And um, anyways, there, I just went through like a really rough period of depression and so bad my ward had 8:30 church at the time and i couldn't get out of bed in the morning mm. to go to church um so i would go to another ward later in the day and take the sacrament and um i just i kind of because of that and i didn't really have a lot of friends in the ward it was pretty isolating um because i wasn't attending my ward and um I just remember on some of those Sundays where I spent a lot of time alone that I would be so hard on myself, like, you know, I can't believe that you can't wake up in the morning to go to church and like, you're still struggling with these problems with pornography. Mm -hmm. And um, I just remember like oftentimes feeling like an overwhelming feeling like God was just telling me you're doing your best, you're putting as much effort as you can into it and like just keep pushing forward. Wow. So a lot of times people dealing with pornography and trying to overcome it, we'll, we'll talk about the word shame. And it sounds like you were kind of in a spiral of shame, but then started to realize that, that God still loved you and would approve of your efforts. Yeah. Um, Let's let's talk about the atonement. Um, you said that it, at first you didn't. It didn't seem like it worked for you the way that it did other people. And and what's interesting, I'm thinking of a line from Elder Maxwell. He he talked about the awful arithmetic of the atonement, mm -hmm. um, and he meant it in a different context. But with you as a mathematician, I'm just thinking part of the awful arithmetic of the atonement is maybe us figuring out how it can be plugged in to the equation. And sometimes that's awful because we don't know how. It, and it, there's uncertainty about how, how will this work for me? So, so how did you learn to apply the atonement into the arithmetic of your life? I think um, just a lot of trial and error. I mean, I think pornography in particular like everybody's motivations for using it, right? Everybody, the things that they're using it to cope with is all very individual. And so I think there isn't a one size fits all um, for like, you know, ceasing that use. Um, but I think there are a lot of like common helpful solutions mm -hmm. for lots of people. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think for me, the talk, talking to my bishop in like lots of detail about it was less helpful for me. Interesting. In fact, it was like pretty shaming for me to like go in and every couple of weeks and recount like, yeah, I've had another problem with it. Yeah, I've had another problem with it. Um, and um, 
So I think for me, and my bishops worked with me on that when I would tell them, like, this isn't really helpful for me right now, my bishops. So, so you were honest with them and saying that's not as helpful. That's, yeah. That's, that's great. <laughs> yeah, I think at first when I started talking to my bishops, I, I wasn't. Um, I just, like, thought this was the thing that I had to do. But Like the one-size-fits-all approach. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think when I started going to therapy especially, my therapy emphasized that, right, pornography usage, lots of addictive behavior or compulsive behavior is cyclical, right? So you view pornography and then you feel really bad about yourself and then you spiral because you feel really bad about yourself and then you view pornography again. And so in therapy, my the emphasis was... Um, you know, that you, you're going to, if you view pornography, you just move on, you know, you view pornography and you say like, okay, I made a decision. Like, how do I feel? Or do I like what I just did? No, this isn't in line with so my sort values. Of evaluating yourself rather than shame. And I noticed that you switched from addictive behavior to compulsive behavior. And, yeah. I, and I think it's important that we look at this as a compulsion right. Right. rather than an addiction. And that's right. what a lot of therapists are saying yeah. now. Yeah. Um, so what what did the role of Jesus Christ's atonement become in, in this process, in this problem? Um, what did it become? Yeah. How, how did you apply it or how does his, your relationship with him shift? Yeah. So I think well, I, I think I was still really struggling um, with trying to get out of the problem, um, but I had become less shaming of myself mm-hmm. about it. And then I think it was 2017 when President Nelson, who wasn't President Nelson at the time, he gave that talk, uh, the Book of Mormon, what would your life be without it? Mm-hmm. And or where would your life be without it? And um, he made a promise in that talk yeah. that he said that if you read the Book of Mormon every day, it would help you overcome the mind-numbing plague of, of pornography. Yeah, I remember that. And um, I had been trying to read like a couple of chapters of the Book of Mormon every day based on what my bishop had asked me to do. And I just, like, I felt really good about it. I think there had been other invitations extended to me of like read for 30 minutes and that just seemed very lofty for me at the time. But when President Nelson um, gave that talk, I just was kind of amazed and um, I just decided that I would plant the seed, you know, and see see what the outcome was Mm -hmm. of reading the Book of Mormon more often. And so I tried to make it a more regular habit um, and I just felt like I felt in a better place mentally, emotionally, um, spiritually, and I felt like temptations didn't come up as often. And when they did, that I was better able to mm-hmm. handle them. And so last year in November, so November 2018, um, I made a goal because um, my birthday's in November. So I set a goal on my birthday that I would read the Book of Mormon every day for a year. And um, I had been through the temple. And so I set a goal that I would go to the temple or I set a goal to go to the temple in May. So six months later. 
um, and I didn't know how it would work or if I would actually keep that temple date. But um, I started reading the Book of Mormon every day, and and um, I had zero. I mean, I certainly had temptations, but I had zero problems with it after wow. that. And so I think for me, the atonement came into play through reading my scriptures. And I didn't, I didn't, I think, um, yeah, the atonement I think is kind of elusive in, mm -hmm. when we think about it or, yeah, even when I think about repenting of sins, right, I'm kind of, I know there have been like formulaic things put out about like, you know, you say sorry to the people that you've harmed and right. you pray to God for forgiveness and I think all those steps are good, but I don't know that there's, again, a one-size-fits-all for every situation, and so it makes sense to me that there isn't a one-size-fits-all for healing with the atonement. And so for me, um, I'm sure, I mean, I know that like the therapy that I did, the fact that I told people about it or told bishops was open and you know, had people that I could turn to for help. Um, I know it all helped, but I think ultimately the thing that helped me to stop was um, was reading the Book of Mormon every day. And um, yeah, I just, I have like a really strong testimony of it. Yeah, I, I, it's so terrific. And the, and the Book of Mormon is another testament of Jesus Christ, but it reminds me of another quote from President Nelson where he talks about you can have the power of the Book of Mormon in your life. And it, when he, talking about the Book of Mormon, that word power, mm -hmm. you, you were empowered. And where does that power come from? From, from Jesus me. Christ mm -hmm. and his atonement. Yeah. So when is your birthday? November 21st. <laughs> so a couple weeks. Yeah, it's, it's November and yeah. happy birthday. Thank you. And, and congratulations. Thank, thank you so much for mm -hmm. that example. And and for the inspiration, yeah, I'm I'm inspired by that that goal setting and by your problem solving and patience. So thank you so much, Emily. No problem.